0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our Director of Spiritual Formation, Marjorie Mott. Hey everyone, this is Susan Alloway, and I'm going to be doing the scripture reading for Marjorie's sermon. I do want to give you the heads up, though, that the sermon recording came out a little bit staticky, and I apologize for that. Now, here is Luke 4... 31 through 44. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: So as we listen to that, it's so easy to read over the demon possession, right? And not think like it's such a big deal. Um, But recently I started watching the Chosen series, show of hands. Who's been watching? Anybody? Wait, I looked here when I didn't see anybody. Okay, some, some hands. Cool. Um, so in the first episode of Chosen, you see Mary Magdalene um, experience demon possession and a rabbi try and um, heal her, but unsuccessful. And I love this series because it's helping bring all scripture to life, but it was obviously because of also demon possession really caught my attention. Um, so I think, and I hope tonight that this passage will come more alive to you that something that we can sometimes easily gloss over those of us who are familiar with scripture will come alive because, um, demon possession is kind of crazy and not usual and like Jesus came and healed these people. And it's really amazing. So I hope taking a slower look at this uh, at this will help us. just how amazing this is this is a story worthy of tv um, just like the chosen has showed us if you hear nothing else tonight hear this that in this passage jesus proves his authority authority he still has today So where are we in this story? We've seen um, Jesus get baptized. He spends 40 days fasting in the desert, preparing for his ministry. And then he shows up in his hometown of Nazareth, and he proclaims himself there as the Messiah. And then he's driven out of there. Um, The passage um, that Susan preached on last week ended with this they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff and he walked right through the crowd and went on his way i love how susan said that jesus just did like some superhero move right like they're there chanting like throw him throw him over and suddenly he just walks on by that's awesome so we've come from that opening this passage with him in Capernaum again teaching on the Sabbath. And after Jesus is teaching at the synagogue in Nazareth, we see, we saw that the people were amazed. And then again, here he teaches and they are amazed. And, but Luke adds here that they're amazed because his words have authority. And in the same story, Mark adds that he has authority, not as the teachers of the law, And so we see Luke and Mark starting to make some distinctions between Jesus and the way he taught and how his words have more weight and more authority than those of the rabbis and the teachers of their time. I'm just going to continue going through some bullet version of this passage to help um, bring it to mind again. Um, And then we'll explain a little bit more of what this means. But so we see them say, because his words have authority. And then this man possessed by demon cries out, this demon comes to Jesus, naming him as the Holy One. And Jesus silences him, be quiet, come out of him, he says. And the demon throws the man down, probably trembling, shaking, and the man is left without injury. And again, the people state, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. Then Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick and we see Jesus go and rebuke the fever and it leaves her. More are ill, more are demon-possessed and they're brought to Jesus and he heals them. And the demons say, you are the son of God and Jesus rebukes them and silences them again. And then, as per usual, Jesus goes to a solitary place. And yet they find him. They come to him. They're trying to keep him from leaving, and he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, because that is why I was sent. So let's notice a few things. Jesus does not go looking to heal. They come to him, and yet he meets them there, and he addresses their physical needs. And then the first healing of the demon-possessed man is framed on either side by the statements about Jesus' authority. Now, this is important. Um, A commentator, Fred Craddock, said, and there's a slide on this. I'll give a second, all right. Primary tension is not on the exorcism, on the bringing out of the demon. No rituals or incantations are described. Luke is saying that Jesus is a teacher of the word of God, and that word has power. It is that which the world of demons must now face. It is that which amazes the crowd, and it is that which the church after him proclaims. So the first healing is framed, book ended right on either side of this proclamation of Jesus's authority. Then let's notice also that the word rebuke is used twice. First, with a mother-in-law who's healed of a fever, which right, he could have like put his hands on her like he did so often, but instead he used his words and he said rebuke. And then the demons came again, more demons came. And to them he said rebuke he rebuked them and they left and again they were silenced in both accounts of the demons they were silenced here's another um quote from a commentator that says for he that's jesus for jesus need not their testimony nor did he choose to be made known by them they were not the proper persons to identify him as the messiah i love how that's said he didn't need their testimony, right? He, Those words are not the words that mattered. Again, pointing to Jesus's words are the ones that matter. And the section closes with Jesus saying he must proclaim the good news. Again, he's focusing on his words, saying to proclaim the good news. He doesn't say, I need to go do more healings. I need to heal these people, the sick people in other towns. He says I need to proclaim this good news. So what does this mean? Obviously, Jesus is proving his authority. So authority to what? authority that he is the son of god the messiah the chosen one the one they've been waiting for he's putting into action the claim he had just made in nazareth and you can pull up that slide i'll read that phrase, that sections chapters four four verses 18 and 19 that said the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this repetition is important, right? Whenever we see things a couple of times, it's supposed to of our attention that the writer Luke here is saying, pay attention, there's something going on. And so what do we see? We see he's putting, he's focusing on Jesus's words, the power of his word that they have authority. What what words these are that people say after the first demon possession? What words these are? Comparing the teachers of their time, right? Who probably both in their healings and in their teachings used a lot more ritual and a lot more words. And so the simplicity of Jesus's words Caught their attention. And with the three main healings, they're all happen happening, all done with words, often rebuke. As I meditated on this passage this week, I too, I mean, that's initially what I was struck by, right? Is the words and how powerful they are and how obvious his power and authority was and is. And I found myself just easily so quieted and like just a a peace coming over me, right? And that inner stillness and comfort and awe, right? That comes over when we acknowledge something else so much more powerful, when we acknowledge God so much more powerful. Part of me wanted to hear and like look into this wondering, well, is Luke trying to tell us that the words are more important than the actions? And I had to dig in because I realized I think that comes more from my background than it was probably what Luke is doing that comes from the evangelical stream that I come from that focuses so much on action right we like so often repeated James says faith without actions is dead And first John 3 let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth but here it's so obvious that Jesus's words and his actions the healings are so intertwined so connected. So it's the, the words and, um, that bring on the healings, and it's the healings, the actions that therefore come and prove the authority of his words. And so why is Luke telling us to pay attention to these words? It's for what he's saying to focus not on what he's doing, but on who he is. That he is the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word made flesh. That his being is the unique intertwined experience of his words and his actions, to be God. To have this authority and power comes from who he is, not just what he says or does. Those merely prove the authority of who he is, that he is a God who heals and frees us. So in this passage, Jesus proves his authority, authority he still has today. How is Jesus using his authority today? Seated at the scripture says that he's seated at the right hand of God. This means that he's sharing power with God, that he's in the highest place of honor. Hebrew tells us that he's interceding for us. It says Jesus is our advocate. John says Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. And so scripture is pointing so often to Jesus Christ back ascended with the Father in heaven. But through the interesting interconnectedness of the Trinity, we also know that Jesus is in us through the Holy Spirit present with us here. When Evelyn was sick in the NICU as an infant, for some reason, this truth about Jesus and the role he's playing in heaven interceding for us really spoke to me and really brought me so much peace. I remember vividly praying over her, her in this, you know, her little NICU bed all within these wires, and I wasn't allowed to hold her, and just praying and finding so much comfort and strength and stillness again in this power, recognizing I could just come and say, I don't have what it takes, but Christ, I know you were there before God on the throne, crying out for, to heal this little girl. Knowing that he was interceding on my behalf, that he was choosing to use this authority on my behalf. Jesus' power again brought peace and comfort. Something I hope that we all come to know. So in this passage, Jesus proves his authority, authority he still has today. Do you believe this authority exists today? Do you believe it not just in your head, but in your heart? That he is a God that proclaims good news, heals the brokenhearted, and sets the captive free. Do you believe Jesus is close enough, powerful enough to help you make decisions about your future? Do you believe Jesus can loosen the pain from your old wounds? Do you believe Jesus can break your addiction? Do you believe Jesus can stop sexual violence? Do you believe that Jesus can end racism? Do we believe this authority is present today? That we have the same access to it that is right here. That the same authority that silenced demons sent them to go, rebuked fevers, is here with us. I want us to enter a time of reflection and to take a couple minutes considering what our life would look like if we believed in Jesus' authority more fully. Imagine, imagine what that would look like, the things you might say differently, the things you might do differently, the things you might um, believe differently. If it weren't just in your head, but it was, it sunk down into the crevices of your life and your being. Imagine how your life would look differently if you believed in Jesus' authority more fully. All right. All right, so just in closing, I do wanna give a practical like what to do with this or how to apply it in your life today. And the challenge is to use the name Jesus. Maybe this is just me, but I've noticed in my life, especially over the last year or two, that I've moved from saying, um, when I talk about God, just using the name God so much more often than Jesus. And so I know this is a challenge for me too, You know, as I think about, does Evelyn actually know? Like I believe in Jesus and not just God, because when I reflect on what names am I using? And I want to encourage you challenge you to use the name Jesus scripture tells us that other people the apostles the disciples healed in the name of Jesus. That even demons submitted to others because they used the name of Jesus. So let us use the name of Jesus. I want you to think about two places you can use the name of Jesus in prayer. And then in conversation, first in prayer, to pray the name over Jesus, over the problem, sorry, pray the name Jesus over the problem areas of your life. Sometimes we don't have any other words, but to bring it to mind, to say the name Jesus, whether it's an emotional Wound you have from mean things people have said, or is the sinful desires that spring up in your day, or is the physical pain in your body. Pray Jesus's name over these areas of your life. And then secondly, bring up Jesus in conversation. Think of how to bring, or maybe not think ahead of time. That's a little complicated. But in the meantime, in the the moment, when you are talking to a stranger and when you're talking with your family, and I want you to maybe even think about like those two groups of people, like what makes you more uncomfortable about bringing up the name of Jesus? Is it with strangers or is it with family? Is it with the people you live with? And if you're not sure what that looks like, that's okay. We say, Jesus, help us. Show us. So we see here in this passage that Jesus proves his authority. Authority he still has today. Authority you have access to today. Power you can rely on. A presence you can rely on. So, church, may we live like we believe in this authority. Amen.
0: To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.